From Baltimore, Maryland, this is The Stoop Sessions, a One Hope podcast. Join us for conversations about ministry on The Stoop. Learn more about our work at www.onehope.gives. He shows everybody across every class Mm. that we're on one, the one hand, we're nothing without him. Yeah. And on the other hand, we're everything with him. Welcome back to part two with our conversation with Karen Ellis as we talk more about God working in the small, uh, persecuted churches and the hope that we have in Christ. Wow. And that's, that's the thing for everybody. And that's, that's, I mean, it's so funny. I just, just finished sharing on James at a conference at the, the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference. And I was talking how, about how, like, what's the sober estimation of man? How do we, when God says, have a sober estimation of yourself. I always thought that that was like realizing who I am apart from him and who I am with him. Mm. That's like standing at both poles and saying, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's a sober estimation. And that everybody is rendered the same. But the fall makes us turn around and say, I'm going to be God. And if you're not like me, then you are, then I'm going to ascribe to you some position below me. I'm going to be God, right? Yeah. So the answer becomes the same for anybody. Partiality is why James is like, listen, mm. you know, the, the low man was coming, the, the poor man was coming to the service and the rich people were clutching their pearls and they were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this? And James is like, no, Mm. Partiality is and, and prejudice, that kind of class prejudice is forbidden in God's economy, not because it's morally wrong, yes it is, but because it's based on idolatry. It doesn't belong. Yeah. The church had a had a problem in James's day with idolatry that expressed itself in classism, and he strikes at the sin of all the isms and says, No, all of that stuff is idolatry, man. Um, that's what was up with Cain and Abel, right? From the beginning, Cain, yeah. Cain, yeah, from the beginning, the religion of Cain versus the pure worship of Abel. You know, those idols make us puff up. They make us make categories. They make us make, um, you know, assign people into those categories that are man-made. And James says, no, you can't have that stuff in the church because that's what the world is doing. Yeah. The church is doing that. Then we just look like everybody else. If we're going to look totally different, then, you know, our idols are not going to permit us. Our idols don't want us to be bent on maximum life and maximum transformation. They're bent on maximum destruction and dehumanization. So we got to look. We have to be a completely different kind of community mm-hmm. altogether. Partiality is not part of the body because it's not a part of God's character. Mm. It's not a part of his will. It's not a part of his promise. Mm. And he's not shown partiality in the promise, and he hasn't shown partiality in its fulfillment. He's going to yeah. keep a people from himself, for himself, it's going to cut across all of man's categories. And that's what the church is supposed to look like. Amen. We are all the poor and filthy man. The yeah. filth isn't just on us, but it's in us. And we're all the arrogant rich man, because there's always going to be greater and lesser persons than ourselves, right? So... He entered into this. He shows no person that per- partiality. He enters into our poverty. He sits mm-hmm. with us in our deadness. 
He invites everybody to his table. Mm. He dresses us in his clothes of yeah. righteousness. He bathes all of us in his love. Yeah. He puts all of us in his house, and none of us deserve to be there. We're yeah. all the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, the captive made free, right? Right. So then he's, James is saying, look, class-based people, how can you turn around and do less and do worse? Mm. than what he's got than what he's done for us the ultimate goal of the kingdom well yeah it's a healthy thing to usher and welcome strangers into new social positions but that's not the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is to usher the rich man the poor man the middle man all of us into the table into the home the fulfillment of the covenant of Abraham blessed to be a blessing to the nation right? that's good so yeah and then when I start thinking about you know how the covenant cuts across, the covenant promise cuts across everything. I get happy. Yeah. You're right. The gospel yep. makes makes a person happy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's Nothing right. else does that. Yeah. Buddha right. doesn't do that. That's right. Well, um, Confucius I, doesn't do that. No. They don't do that for yeah, me. Right. You know? I think it's yeah. so much of the pursuit of identity today as just this inward pursuit of where I can find identity in my community or in the people around me, or what people give me, or the, the sense, of, sense of purpose that I can have. And I, I think the gospel comes and says, now, you, particularly for those who have been um, neglected, you've been neglected by society, but God has not neglected you. Yeah. And God has actually That's defined right. who you are. And your identity right. comes through being part of this covenant community. Mm. Have you guys thought ever about, um, I'm sure you have, you've thought about Hagar. You know Hagar. God spends the, the scripture... Defining himself. Yeah. But Hagar names God. Mm. Mm. Wow. And she's she's like the ultimate outsider. She's like the ultimate marginal person, right? She's not a Jew. She's been put out by the community. She's been treated poorly by the community, yeah. by the covenant community. She's been used as a pawn, you know, and and here she is out in the middle of nowhere. Jesus comes to her. Yeah, yeah. the God who sees. And she, a God yeah. who sees. The God who sees yes. me. And she, and she names him that. Yeah. You know, I think that's what, that's what God does to the yeah. people yeah. on the margins of society. They're like, you see me yeah. when nobody else does. Yeah. Isn't that Ooh, interesting? That's hope. I'm going through Genesis Ooh. with my kids and, uh, my, one of the conversations that came up that one of my kids actually asked was, why does, why does God always seem to use the really messed up person? You know, the person who's kind of on the outside, the person who's been taken advantage of. And I was like, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Like, even yeah. through Genesis, and this goes back, tying this back into your study, um, with more, more recent history in the last couple centuries, that God mm-hmm. works in the margins. Yeah, he does. Hey, can I go back to and those? And he delights in it. Right. <laughs> yeah. The delights in the small, you said. Mm-hmm. I like that. Let me go back to those three P's, priority, presence, and practice. Sure. Yeah. So when yeah. you're looking at whether it is uh, Christ, uh, Christians in America uh, oppressed by slavery, whether it is communist China, wherever they're at, um, do you find that there's actually a similar priority, a similar presence, and a similar kind of practice in all of these communities that unites them? I do. And they, you know, it's, it's not because they are living as the people of God. Um, they're they're So I think about, I think about Christian practice as Mm -hmm. proximity to a bullseye, right? 
like Jesus is in the center. He's the only one who practiced Christianity perfectly because he is the word. He's the living word. Right. And, you know, he's not just a model. He is Christianity. He mm-hmm. is our life. Right. But then I think about people in history who were closer and further away to that sent to the center of that bullseye, because none of us have, none of us have lived the Christian life perfectly. Right. As he has. Right. Um, so the people who are closer to the center of that bullseye, they did, there are things, characteristics that, um, that are, that you see expressed in, in the book of Acts, that you see expressed in the epistles that are closer, um, you know, in practice and that, that sort of define people's priorities. Um, what changes um, is their context and how those things are applied. For example, um, there are similarities I see between uh, Christians on mainland China and similarities to Christians in, the, in different places in the Middle East in their priorities on discipleship right now. And I don't think that there's any um, accident in the fact that those are two places that are the fastest growing and deepest uh, disciple-making movements in the world today. Hmm. So they're doing some things that are very similar. Um, they're doing something, some things that are similar in their discipleship methodology and their practices, um, but... We're talking about, um, you know, in some cases in the Middle East, you know, Islamic nations, as opposed to, you know, the church in China, which is, you know, under communist rule. So there's differences in how they, um, how they find each other. There's differences in how they meet. There's differences in, you know, what the house church uh, theology looks like. There's difference in, um, in, you know, how they, um, how they, uh, how they, um, train each other mm-hmm. stealthily, right? Um, there's differences in, um, you know, the celebrations and the markers and how they celebrate those things in the culture and use those things in particular to, mm-hmm. um, as uh, teaching tools or as uh, points of contact for sharing the gospel. Um, there's differences in what they know about the gospel um, from other places because of you know, how government restricts whether or not how much access they mm. can have to the outside world. So, so the, there are similarities based on how they're applying the principles of the kingdom of God, but there's differences in how those things get expressed. Gotcha. Good. There's a really great um, new movement that started you guys might, might want to take a look at. It's called the, the Center for House Church Theology. And they've got a great project going on where they're actually now publishing the works uh, and the sermons of practical house church, uh, you know, just pastor sermons from house churches across China. And it's really compelling stuff. They've released their first book. It's called um, Grace for the City. And um, they're working on this. There's a few. Um, and so they're translating them into English, basically. And they're, they're really amazing. It's, it's really neat. Uh, I, I'm just like, what a great project. So they've got about nine other projects they're going to work on over the next 10 years. Um, it's going to be like an, it's going to be, it's kind of historical because it's like, like instead of us sending stuff out, it's people sending stuff in, yeah. us, which is great. And I'm like, man, we need this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we what need I, this stuff. What I, what I feel like I, I hear you saying too is um, just the importance of recognizing that the basics really will get us uh, where we need to go. 
prayer mm-hmm. uh, commitment to the community and not um, mm-hmm. really getting uh, probably tied down by how we do that or making that signify um, true Christianity, yeah. but it's in yeah. a lot more simpler yeah. ways. That That's sacrifice mm-hmm. enough. I mean, I think of um, Hebrews uh, eleven thirty eight, where it talks about, you know, of whom the world was not worthy, you know, like these individuals mm-hmm. on the margin um, are doing something and focusing on the, the truth of the gospel as much as they know, mm-hmm. um, as much as what mm-hmm. has saved them. And, and that is, uh, that is their focus, not Twitter. Um, and not mm-hmm. anything else that is, uh, that's, t- that's to my own soul, but it's also yeah, <laughs> realizing that, yeah. um, a lot can be done in prayer. And I think I've learned that from your constant calls yeah. to saying we move forward on our knees, you know? And so I, I think mm-hmm. the saints do that in a very desperate way. And that's what we're, yeah. we're praying for in, in our neighborhood. I mean, we see so many crossovers. We've had so many blessings here, but you know, some of the, uh, realities to being on a, in, in a different type of margin. We see oppression. We see individuals mm-hmm. who don't uh, want to change. We see other individuals who their currency changes if anyone does change. And prayer mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. uh, the only thing that's gotten us thus far is for the Lord to work yeah. in the small. So it is sweet to know that God has left us so many sweet letters of of people before yeah. us to show, hey, you're not the you're not at the beginning of this, and we're not quite yeah. at the end. Can I ask you yeah. a couple apo- yeah. quick apologetics questions that we might get in our context that you could Ooh, be helpful? I don't know. Answering? I'll try. I don't know. I, you know, right. probably, I, well, my thing. So based, uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> based, based on what what you studied, <laughs> slaves in America were forced Christianity, and mm-hmm. uh, therefore it was not really, you know, their thing. It was just something that they were forced and that they adopted just to get by. <laughs> Chuckles. Yeah. That's how you know. So, um, that in and of itself is a really um, dehumanizing statement, as if these people did not have their own agency mm-hmm. to make their own decisions. Um, first off, first off, no, <laughs> first off, um, there's a really, there's a, an interesting resource that's just come out from Eric Mason called Urban Apologetics. And it's, you know, this is an argument that you hear a lot from um, the black consciousness movement, um, the um, particularly black Hebrew Israelites and, and others, uh, the Kemets. Um, and I'm, I'm not well-versed enough to know the differences between those two communities, but I do know that that's a common argument. You know, Christianity is the white man's religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've taken on, you've adopted the religion of your oppressors. Um, that what this book does in Urban Apologetics is it's, it's a number of essays written by different scholars who basically show you the, the journey of Christianity um, and, its, and its transculturation um, through Africa, long before slaveholders set sail for anywhere, and long before there was a um, black-white binary, um, long before um, Africa was named Africa by Europeans, right? And it really just, you know, there's some really great historical scholarship, um, historical research in there that says, you know, um, there was such a Christian, there was an enormous Christian presence in Africa. I mean, you look at, you know, Philip and the Ethiopian mm-hmm. eunuch, right, from the outset. So, you know, there's, that's a great resource, I think, for every pastor who's dealing with that argument head on. 
um, where's your where's your proof? You know, and they, they tell us, you know, in good debate, on what basis do you make this argument, right? So it, there's some really good information in there on saying this is this has been an Af- this has been a um, a a presence for African people long before the white man brought it, you know, imposed yeah. it on this population. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, there's also, you know, the, the argument of, you know, there are, there are people who were, there were, there were Catholics. If you look at the St. Thomas Moravian population I was talking about earlier, if you look at the, if you look at the Gold Coast, there were Catholics already on the Gold Coast who were uh, captured um, they, they had convert, they had chosen, they had gone into Catholicism, they were captured, they were brought to the new world, to the Americas, and then they, they converted from Catholicism to, um, Protestantism. Hmm. And so I'm like, you know, you go and you find these people's stories and you realize that they have agency in their belief system. Yeah. And if you take that agency away from them, you're dehumanizing them all over again. Yeah. If you say you just did this now, there, and, and I all often say when I think about why I do anything, I always thank God for mixed motivations. Because yes, there were people who chose Christianity because they thought um, they might be emancipated. They chose Christianity because they they could get they could have access to literacy. Now there are people who people did, but there among those people were genuinely people who actually had the conviction of heart that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was, and they lived lives according to that. Mm. And I cannot, I cannot dehumanize them by stripping them of that right to have that belief and live it out. Yeah. And what that does is it points to God working through our human limitations and even That's our right. human sin. I mean, just the the, the depths mm-hmm. that we would take sin Um that we would we would go and dehumanize individuals who say, "Well, my word right. is still true." And so, that, I mean, That's I feel right. like the more we learn history, the more we stare at the reality of like he really thought this through, and we still keep messing <laughs> it up, and he still keeps giving us an opportunity. Right? So, points to his yeah. long suffering and his perfection and his understanding. Yeah. So, second apologetics yeah. question and last. Okay. Look, I told you tell, tell us when you're done. Um, <laughs> second apologetics question is. You know, you study those who are in the margins of society, neglected in some fashion. Well, of course, they're going to turn to God because, you know, he's a crutch. He helps them through. Let's just focus on the sweet by and by. Um, Of course, they're going to turn to God. Well, why don't you say that about those who practice Santeria and those who who held on to their Islamic beliefs? Um, or those who turn to other, you know, other yeah. systems of religion. Why, why, why just Christianity? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you really have to be a straight-up atheist to make that argument. Um, and that, that means that the only choice is to endure your suffering through atheism, right? Um, through no belief at all. Um, so that, 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 I don't know, that, that argument falls apart from Good answer. pretty, pretty That's quickly. Enough. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What What are a couple of concerns that you might have for our current church in America as you think about the landscape of the church, uh, you know, in combination, which is everything going on in culture? Yeah, things uh, that we prize as priorities. Like, yeah. what, what are some top What's your perspective? What journal be, prayer be, concerns? There you go. Gosh. <laughs> um, 
I have been asking people in other contexts what we should do, considering where we are, the polarization, the sifting that's going on, um, the exposure of our fake Christianity, um, the exposure of our limitations of how we've, you know, the, the truncated gospel that we've been preaching for a long time. Um, knowing that there's always been, you know, a small group of people carrying the kingdom ball forward. Now they put it in our uh, put it in our hands, yeah. and we're looking at all this stuff exposed, um, you know, and all this stuff is being brought to light. Well, life's a great disinfectant, so mm. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what are we going to do now? That's good. Where are we going from here? And I've asked. I've, I actually had a conversation with a fellow um, who's his, who's a, a helper in Cuba. I said, if you were us, what would you do from this point on? And he said, learn to be content with small, which I thought was really helpful. Hmm. Um, it's completely antithetical to the American concept of Christianity, which is about growth and, you know, yeah. numbers. I mean, numbers are important. God wrote a whole book about it. But, you know, numbers numbers are important, but they're, they're not ultimate, right? Mm-hmm. So right. he said, learn yeah. to be content with small. And the second thing he said to do was he said, train everybody and so I took that and I put that together with another pastor who I spoke to in a closed country and I said what would you do if you were us (laughs) at the point Mm -hmm. that we're at now and he said well he says you guys are in a place where you can kind of push the reset button at this point he said you know start you know start if if it's not Christian Christian nationalism what is it Mm. If it's not sola social justice, what is it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, where social justice is ultimate. And I'm not saying justice is not important, but right. it's not ultimate, sure. right? Right, yeah. Um, where it's an idol, right? So he says, if it's not that, then what is it? And he said, what we're doing in our context is we're going back to basics. We're going back to first things. Mm-hmm. And so he took us again back to prayer, discipleship, like the things, the markers that you see in the book of Acts, prayer, discipleship, um, transformation, wisdom. And he added one that's really sexy to me. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of our, one of our Edmondson Center principles, which is self. Hmm. How do you learn to move and promote the kingdom in a culture that is hostile towards biblical Christianity? Hmm. How do you get creative? Yeah. How, do you, how does that make you innovative? And so, you know, I started taking those and putting those together. And when I started putting together those together, I started finding other people who were doing the same things and thinking about the same things. My anxiety and my fear about Christianity, the future of Christianity in America, really started to change to adventure. Hmm. That's and it started to, yeah, yeah. And I started to, you know, my faith started to grow. Your circumstances so started, didn't change. Nope. But your perspective nope. of, on what's going on changed. Wow. Or, or mm-hmm. how to think about what's going on. Yeah. And so my husband and I, in the last two years, we're talking about, you know, people who've got about 70, 80 years of, you know, um, Christian life between us. We put ourselves back in prayer training. Um, kingdom-oriented prayer training. We started working with a group called Prayer Current. Um, they work with people around the world, and they started retraining us how to pray 
under pressure, how to pray in hostile environments, how to pray in um, for kingdom advance, mm. um, how to move beyond prayers that you know like, that move from like, oh God, please don't let this happen. Which is just a prayer to maintain your status quo, right? Yeah. To to step to pray for the courage to step into. Nevertheless, not my will, yeah. but yours be done. God help Matt, us. Matt, when you start praying, Matt, all sorts of crazy stuff starts happening. It makes you pray more and teaches you and really, like, gets the, those calluses on your, 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 your prayer needs. You know, as it were, not, not, you know, literally speaking, but, you know, it puts some calluses around your prayer muscles. And so we've, we've been doing that for about two years. We're starting to um, implement those principles into, um, into the Edmiston Center curriculum. So we're teaching a course on theology and mission of prayer. Um, how do you do prayer evangelism? How do, you, um, how, do you, how do you make better disciples who aren't spiritually malformed and they can't tell the difference between the ancient story and the false stories of idols, mm. you know? Yeah. How do we make better disciples than we've made? Um, yeah, so those are just some of the questions we're asking. And when we, when we spend more time asking those questions and trying to get fit um, uh, for, you know, a new day and a new cultural reality, we get more excited than we do nervous. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what we that's what we've been doing. So good. What y'all been doing? Yeah. What we've been. <laughs> oh man! After all that, you're gonna ask us that question. <laughs> oh God, well, God works with, with small. Well, I want to learn from you. God too. works with small. We delight in yeah. the small. We do well. You know, yeah. that's probably Amen. helping us to to delight. What are we doing? I, clinging, being kept. <laughs> yeah. I do, quite yeah. honestly, if you were Prayer to ask right now, you know, it, it really is not not getting uh, caught up in the numbers, and also I think. Um, I'd probably say being more comfortable with the everyday uh, calls to repentance. I think we uh, we we mm-hmm. uh, we have a discipleship internship here. We're in the neighborhood. We're doing job training from a biblical perspective, and some of that like looks sexy when you're fundraising. But individuals always want to know. You know, funders are like, well, give us success stories, and you know, we're like, we're with people who are. You know, yeah. we're enmeshed. Our, and, our success story today is probably not going to be a success story tomorrow. Yeah, or it might not be. And, right. And, and, not, right. and the Lord is doing so much in the background. So I think right. for us particularly as we've slowed down during COVID, for me and our team, it's been trying to go back actually to prayer and trying to, to uh, have an appetite for that more than I have an appetite for what I see. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, I'm more on the anxious side than advent- adventure, but I know I can pray towards that. I'm scared because God will mm-hmm. actually deliver. And I'm like, ooh, I, I know. don't know if I want calluses, but the Holy Spirit's yeah. going to take me where where I need to and maybe maybe I'll pray a little bit. But yeah, have we been doing anything different, yeah. Joe? Probably just being it up well. kept and cling- clinging and kept. Yeah. Just trying to be yeah, faithful. I, I, no, I get that. That's the, that's the prayer, isn't it? I'd rather have uh, prayer calluses than than uh, skin knees from being dragged along. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like okay, good. That's we good. can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. Yeah. You're right. And, then, and going back to basics is, in a lot of ways, it is the hard way. You know, there's not. I wish, you know, I wish people. I'm trying to get more realistic when I'm talking to people about you know life in Christ because there's a lot of people. They don't know who Christ is, they, and that's amazing, you know, for this context. They don't know what he came to do. 
Yeah. They don't know, you know, what he's doing in the world. They don't, they just don't know anymore. So yeah. when I talk to people, I try to tell them, I'm like, are you sure you really want to do this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because it's not the easy way. If you want the easy way, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, right. that's right. But, you know, we're getting to a point now where there's a Christianity on the ground that costs. Mm. Yeah. And do you really want that? Okay, you do, then come on. But, you know, I just got to tell you up front, it's not the easy way. <laughs> it's not easy. It's worth <laughs> it. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it is worth it. I'm so yeah. thankful for your work. I think it's so applicable to yeah. our uh, context and the context that we're currently growing into as a, as a culture. Mm. And, um, well, you know, thanks. who knows who's going to be able to benefit from these kind of conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, I appreciate the time. Thank um, you. you know, it's, it's, um, you. it's really great to talk with saints whose hearts are tender and, um, you know, have been tenderized by the events of our culture the last year. Mm. And um, I just, uh, I'm persuaded the more we find each other, who realize that we just have to do things differently than yeah. we have been. You know, it's, it's, it's a balm for my soul to talk with you guys. That's Amen. good. Any, uh, any yeah. hymn or song chorus you're singing often to yourself? There is one, and it's old school. Like, I was discipled by old school saints. Mm. And it's, uh, so there's, you know, you, you, you pray with old school saints. Like, they're, they're kind of a dying breed now, but they'd be praying in King James English. You know? Right, <laughs> I'm like, right. And, you know, whereas before I used to kind of side-eye them, now I'm like, man, the reverence yeah. that you have when you go to pray, mm. you know, to save the bees and the vines. You know, you really get the, the sense that they're they're talking to someone they deeply revere. Wow. The one they deeply revere. So, mm. anyways, the song that's been on my heart lately has been, I need thee every hour. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Most good. gracious Lord, yeah. no other power but thine can peace afford. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every, every hour, hour, I need thee. Yeah. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. And that's that's kind of where my, I guess that's where my heart is. Yeah. Too, but that's been on my mind. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, Praise the Lord. Well, know. thank you so much <laughs> for you, taking our you. phone call. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You guys are real ones. I appreciate you. No, same, same. <laughs> You're welcome back on the stoop yeah. anytime. Oh, thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll drop by. All right, we'll have some Old Bay <laughs> yeah. and some crabs waiting for you. Hey, honestly, <laughs> you know, if you if you ever come to Baltimore, let us know, and uh, we'd love to hang out with you and your husband. I'm there. Yeah, right. we're, we're there. <laughs> Especially if crabs are involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we take that seriously, so uh, it's a real impact. Yeah, <laughs> All right. I'm here. Thanks thank a lot, guys. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Stoop Sessions. Be sure to catch us next time. As One Hope exists to build healthy churches in the inner city, check us out and connect at www.onehope.gives.